0: is also an important part of our job that you need to be able to manage, you need to be able to answer, and especially after losing games. But what I think is important when you come back on the court, the face that you show to your players after this game. And I'm a coach that tried really to analyze situation. The most difficult things is that when you pass through this period, it's important that you understand why and how you lost this kind of game.
1: I'm Dan Krikorian and I'm Patrick Carney, and welcome to Slapping Glass, exploring basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome Italian professional coach, Walter De Raffaele. Coach De Raffaele is here today to discuss the philosophy, rules, and subtle tweaks to his 3 2 matchup zone, and we talk. Princeton offense as a base to sets and real life coaching growth during the always fun start, sub, or sit. Costa Rica, Spain, Italy, Australia, South Africa, we're excited to announce our newest partnership with the world leader in international sport tours, Beyond Sports. Founder and former college and pro basketball coach, Josh Erickson. his team of former athletes have built the go-to company for coaches looking to take their programs abroad. From the travel and accommodations to excursions and service learning opportunities, Beyond Sports does it all. For more information and to learn why more than 650 universities have trusted Beyond Sports, visit beyondsportstours.com and tell them Slapping Glass sent you. And now, please enjoy our conversation with coach Walter De DeRaffaelli. Coach, thank you very much for making the time to come and share some thoughts with us. Can't wait to jump in and talk with you.
0: Thanks for calling me. It's a great pleasure. Share some ideas, something, talk about basketball is always a pleasure. So
1: thank you, coach. Thank you. Coach, we'd like to jump in with this question for you. In your past, you've been known to mix in a variety of zone defenses, matchup zones, regular zones, three twos, all types of zones, I'm sure throughout your career. And we wanted to start with that and more of a philosophical question to start, and then we'll get technical in a second. But what it is about having a zone or putting a zone in as part of your defensive package that you've always been drawn to as a coach
0: we need to start a little bit back in my career as a player or poor player between first and second league in italy but as a player A coach that was Alberto Bucci was a very important coach here in Italy, coached for Virtus Bologna. He won a championship here in Italy when he came in Livorno, in my town, and coached us for four or five years. And we are talking about 889, probably he was not still born but was uh, one of the first coach that showed me the matchup zone was one of the first coach that really did tactical stuff really to show limits to the other and to cover our limits with only six players we arrived to the famous final you can go to youtube the 1989 finals versus milano we lost game five by last second shot is famous because referees in the first time they give basket, so we won the season. After one hour, they said that was not valid. So we lost the season. Oh wow. But anyway, everything starts from there because when I was there I was 18. And I start thinking because really I always like to talk with coaches also if I played. And was the first time when I start coaching, I start coaching at when I was 31 as assistant coach and then I start with uh, the young guys and in my city and also with young guys immediately I put the zone inside because I love to let the other team and break the flow of the team. Natural death uh, is not every time happen but the idea to led the other team and really forced the other team to recognize and lost some second. Then we can talk about that. Maybe also extending the zone defense full court after basket, after free throws, was something that really I love a lot also with young guys. The zone, okay, in the year, my 3-2 zone defense really developing in years. The different situation, different adjustment or up to the other offense alignment Because especially in Italy, you can find maybe five, six different offensive sets versus three-tone zone defense. So it's very easy to adjust the zone differently when you play in Europe. But everything starts there because I was really involved in tactical stuff. Also, during preparing a game, I really love to break the set doing something different. And I start developing that zone with young guys, and I immediately start with a 3-2 zone defense. Why? First of all, because I hate the 2-3 zone defense. So that's an easy answer that I always gave to everybody asking me, because it's really something on a scheme that I really feel that is so easy to beat. And so I'm really not able to teach. Every time in these years, I try to teach the 2-3 zone defense because maybe my big man was really so slow like, I don't know, Kasper Wildmar I had in my team. So it was really difficult to play a 3-2 zone defense aggressive in the corners with the guys like that. All the offensive set attack him in the corners with guards. So we was forced to play a 2-3 zone defense or to adjust and become starting a 3-2 zone defense and then will be a 2-3 on his side. So we was forced sometimes to play 2-3 on defense, but I was really bad to teach, was really bad. Because honestly, especially talking about defense, players believe in what the coaches believe. That's something that I really learned through these years. And if you are not deeply convinced about what you are trying to teach to players, it's very difficult that the players follow you or something runs in the right way so first choice is about the three two zone defense is because i think that the alignment really helped me to cover more versus guards and situation of where offenses was more dangerous and i begin at the beginning I really choose to play the 3-2 zone defense, regular 3-2 zone defense, with a lot of adjustments, especially on picker rolls, because now in the game, there are really a lot of different picker roll situations. And we can talk about this adjustment. But also because when I played the matchup zone defense as a player, the game was really slower, really not so athletics, really not so physical. And at the end, everything arrived. To a situation in the last five, six seconds where everybody creates by his own selves. And I really don't think that now with 24 seconds with these athletic skills, it's so easy to mesh a single situation on every single set. I prefer to got general rules on picker and uh, start with different alignment and maybe become another kind of zone during the same possession. So that's the first goal. Every time players Mesh up every alignment, like, I don't know, every single set start with the ball in the middle and then dribble over on the side. The top man in the middle of the zone dribble over, follow this man and try to mash-up immediately. No. We got really clear rules about that where the man on the top of the zone got the responsibility of everything will happen till the three-point line in his middle zone, till the free-throw line, all that part, so every pass on the eye post when the ball is on the side that is his responsibility. Every time, especially when the ball is on the side and is defense by the wing and the other wing cover the diagonal in the corner and the corner the man on the bottom on the same side is ready to go in the corner. But what I said to the players are really simple rules. Everybody in his own zone has to play defense aggressive man-to-man. Really aggressive man-to-man for his part of zone where the responsibility is for him and they have to move while the ball flies. The bigger mistakes is that a lot of players move when the ball is already arrived, or worse than that, they anticipate the movement and move earlier. For example, from the wing to the corner, as I told you, many bigs got the habits, and this is need to coach. And then you can ask, we can talk about how we coach. But this is one of the bigger mistakes to move because the two bigs on the bottom are really connected, like with a group. So they have to stay close, not more than two, three meters, and they have to move together while the ball flies. Natural that more you have pressure on the ball, more time you give to this guy to move. And if you anticipate all this movement, Mike zone is really something that really destroys us because everybody has to move in the right way. And you have to be connected also mentally because there are some rules that you need to really focus.
1: Coach, if you don't mind, would it be possible to hear some of those rules?
0: For example, we got rules about ball in the corner to the foreman side and the foreman on the bottom go in the corner to the ball, we pass straight man to man. So every time the ball goes to the corner, we pass man to man. And from that point, natural that we try to mash up bigs with bigs, but it's almost impossible that this will happen every time. So it could be that we got our foreman versus a guard. And so we really think about, depends on the player. We think about the blitz to reduce the mismatch immediately. And every ball screen that will happen, we switch everything. Also five with the point or point with the foreman. So we pass man to man and we switch everything. Then we think about how to react on mismatch that for sure will happen. Could be our big versus a point on the top. Could be our guard versus a big inside. And natural that we practice and we prepare a situation where we try to trap a big man mismatch for trap on top if we want to reduce the mismatch on top and on this same situation if for example we got another rules where the ball goes straight from the top to the eye post and naturally the ball is defensed by the top man but the ball goes to the eye post probably one of our big men is a little bit closer to the eye post if we have corner empty immediately we pass man to man so this is the second situation where we go straight from zone man-to-man. Man. Could be also after two seconds. Many sets start in that way. And also from that point, everything will happen will be switches. Or it will be that in a game, we decide to don't switch and maybe follow man-to-man man and we stay. So it depends on which team we will face up or depends which player. Is with the ball and the third situation is but now is common 10 years ago was less common than now that we pass man to man last eight seven seconds to the shot clock at the beginning of the season i give a name to that and i call it from the bench because i control the shot clock then during the season players that really brings this kind of zone inside themselves they feel and they felt absolutely when the time is passing and they call this pass man-to-man from the zone defense. So these are three situations and you understand that these are stuff that force the other team to think a lot or to recognize different situations, especially if you focus or if you imagine, figure out from the free throw line, where we extend this kind of defense, three-two zone defense, full court, same alignment, then we can talk about who put in the middle. Many times I put the point guard, especially when I had Julian Stone, is a big body in the middle and allow me to really switch everything. Or sometimes we put the three men in the middle, depends what you're looking for. But if you extend this kind of defense full court from the free throws, I said to my players, okay, don't think that full court you need absolutely to steal the ball. The main goal is that you let them waste their time to recognize, it. first of all, attack the zone defense full court. And maybe they use, I don't know, four seconds, five seconds to go on a second half court could be. Then they need some extra second to recognize the right alignment and probably pass other two, three, four seconds. And then, depends on these cases that I talked about before, they have to face up maybe a man-to-man defense, switching everything and blitzing. So natural, these are situations that need time, because especially for have the right timing and spacing between players, we need time to practice. But once they have it really deeply inside, this is something that also they use by themselves sometimes, because we use that zone also after a call. We play versus... in Germany and they got a set that really we think that is very effective on us for many reasons. We wait for their call and we pass the zone immediately after their call. So they are forced to change or probably they are forced to stop. So the zone uses it also to break the flow or to change what happened on the court. Or maybe we use a timeout call it from the other team because probably the other team call a timeout Inks doesn't run, they want to use a set, special set, uh, man-to-man, and we go out with the zone defense, and they let them, a little bit frustrated, to recognize a different kind of zone. Or, we use that zone because other teams kick our ass man-to-man. Sometimes it <laughs> happens, so we try also that zone. But many times, this zone, especially with players that really deeply believe on that, is something effective to let the other team think and do something, maybe man-to-man instead zone defense. Sometimes in Italy now, a lot of teams do this kind of stuff from zone to man-to-man. But we try to develop different stuff in different situations. You mentioned that
2: the zone is good at covering your players' limits. When you look at your team, I guess, what are the benefits of the zone? What limits do you look to cover up when you're going to play a zone?
0: As I told you, Many times, this kind okay, when you play the game, not every time you got the best five players, defensively talking, on the court. Maybe are uh, small, maybe are thin, maybe are not so solid man to man, and you face up a EuroLeague team, for example. So, you need absolutely to cover the, the physical limit of man to man defense or for example, in a zone defense, you are maybe weak in that moment on pickerot situation, talking man to man. Maybe zone defense let the other team play a little bit less, or play the same picker of situation, but in the zone, players instead man to man are covered by their teammates. So it's different because they work in a different way on any picker of situation, either on a side to the middle or to the middle on a side. So you try to cover this because maybe you are switching on pick So these are the same mm-hmm. thing. For example, if you got a big man that in that moment is really effective on us, in low post, you need to have your big man on the court because you can't sub for any reason, but you need to cover him either for foul trouble, maybe for him or some different spot, or you want to protect anyway because he has to stay on the court. With the zone defense, you can mesh up in a different way and protect in different ways. Or is a moment or is a situation where the team really suffer man-to-man defense and you need absolutely to have a different spacing in defense and to protect your player.
1: We've added a couple of great growth opportunities for SG Plus members recently, as we've once again teamed up with Obradoro assistant Gonzalo Rodriguez to offer unique small group mentorships. Coach Rodriguez has over 30 years of coaching experience and more than a decade coaching in Spain's top division, the ACB. Both a one-month training camp and year-long mentorships are available, covering everything from offensive and defensive tactics and installation, practice design, finding priorities, and much, much more. To become a member and learn more about these opportunities, visit slappingglass.com today. You mentioned a couple interesting points and one was that depending on who your five man was that if the ball went to the corner on his side in the 3-2 it would become a 2-3. That's my first question and then followed up by also the decision on who you put as the top of the 3-2 zone whether that's a longer wing or forward or whether it's your point guard who you decide to put at the top.
0: I start from the second question. It's not an easy defense for the reason that we a lot of different rules especially about rotation on picker roll, blitzing mismatch and blah 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 so nine time out of ten, i put the pointer in the middle because i need really an eye high q in the middle because it's a key position to cover the eye post when the ball is on the side and the eye post is a key Position to avoid the ball goes and it's the same that we're looking for in offense. We look to put the ball on the eye post. From the eye post, ball in the middle. You can really attack every kind of zone. So that's the situation that the pointer has to be smart. And the first question that the pointer had did on me is that okay, I go on the eye post when the ball is on the side. I got also the shooter on top where I go. And my answer is fly to hide the ball. Fly the, the ability to anticipate. The ball movement, looking maybe the eyes of the passer, is so fundamental to coaches. So that's why it's important that we put natural... If you got a point guard with big body, as I told you, Julian Stone was, so it was very easy. Differently, I put the three men, especially, for example, when we go early man-to-man, to have a big body in the middle, because if you figure out that probably I go after five seconds, I go man-to-man, so the three men stay on the ball. Picker is coming on switches, where we switch every time we got a three-man on the fire. So that's the other reason when I have the three-man in the middle. Naturally, if I got a small pointer, we need absolutely to switch and rotate from the weak side and put the point guard outside. So the big in and small out immediately. So our different reason, but the first one is because I need a very good IQ basketball in the middle. The second about the rotation, as I told you, First of all, we try to push every of our big men that it, they move really while the bull flies, they can arrive. But honestly, a lot of guards really attack our big, so it's not easy. So many times when the ball is straight on the top or better, when the ball is on the wing and flight on five men opposite corner or on the same corner where the ball is, uh, who defends the wing? And the ball flight from the wing to the corner. We got our five men, immediately the wing ran in the corner as a trap, back our big man, and the top, the middleman on the top, rotate on the wing and is immediately two-three. Easier if this will happen from the wing to the opposite corner. Immediately the diagonal is covered by the wing, is immediately two-three zone defense. As is a two-three zone defense from every baseline inbound. And usually we got zone from every baseline inbound for the same reason, because many teams from baseline inbound still basket. So this is another situation that you can avoid. I don't know. Understand what I mean? Yes. These are the two reasons. If we decide to keep our five on the guard in the corner for any reason, for example, we have Mitchell Watt, quick feet, so he can really keep it. But we force him to push the ball higher towards the wing, because if we push the ball towards the wing, we got a wing that can blitz and push back the big man anyway. It's not a 2-3, but he pushed back. So that's why it's so important that they really realize how much this zone is connected and how much is important, the timing. If not, is really water everywhere. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sticking on the defending the corners, you also mentioned that if it's a four-man who's going to go out to the corner, that you'll just go straight man-to-man. Yeah, How did you settle on that or the reasoning behind that? And getting out of the zone
0: because we focused that okay could be that some games we decide to make a different decision that's in every game that we prepare we can decide something different but many times the four men now in a modern basketball sometimes the three that become more or vice versa so they are really quick and they can really hold almost every guard every three men so we realized that was really easier Instead going to another kind of rotation, as I told you, push back, blitz, push back the four-man. What's easier on that side, do something, on the other side, do something else. So also for the offense, it's the same reason. The offense has to recognize, hey, watch out. On The four-man side, ball in the corner, maybe they go man-to-man, maybe not. On the five-man side, I don't know what will happen. They go two-three, they keep man-to-man. So it's every time. But for us, these years... So with Austin Day, that is not the best defender in the world, but also with him, we really pass man-to-man immediately. Natula, if we got, I don't know, Teodosic in the corner versus Austin Day, probably we will blitz anyway, and we try to trap and force Teodosic to pass the ball out.
1: Another technical question for me in the 3-2, and you mentioned the 4 or the 5 bumping out to the corner and probably the point guard at the top. Now, with your two wings, where do you want them? How high are they on the wing? Are they trying to not let the ball get to the corner on a pass? How aggressive are they in those two wing spots for you?
0: When we start teaching the three-two zone defense, I said every time that they has to play defense versus shooter, feel the shooting range of every single shooter they will meet. So if they have unbelievable shooters, they need to play really, maybe also one, or two meters outside the three-point line. Natural that they know the skills of every player, but there's no an exact distance. As I told you, Teodosic can shoot from eight meters. So if you stay inside the three-point line, he really immediately shot. Natural that my defense is a defense that don't want to wait. We don't want to wait the initiative from the offense. We want to attack the offense. So. We try to be aggressive sometimes also only with the guard that extend the defense full court by himself. And the two wings stay a little bit higher on the three-point line on our half court. And the point guard work by himself only to waste time that the two wings are ready to be aggressive. As I told you at the beginning, they play aggressive man-to-man on their zone. So if the defense, I don't know, a three-man no-shooter they can really stay a little bit less aggressive, but I don't want that they move the ball easy. So the aggressiveness is almost the same. Natural when the ball is in the corner, we can decide sometimes to let the ball out and we let our wings stay a little bit cover on the paint. And sometimes we deny the ball back because especially if the foreman is in the corner, they need to have the abyss to deny the ball back because probably we are man-to-man if the foreman is in the corner. So depends really from... Oh, we got, and we face up.
2: Another tactical question, with the pick and rolls at the top, how you handle those if they're at the top or if they're in the slot going middle, what are kind of your rules, coverages there?
0: I try to explain as better as possible without showing something, but figure out that the guard is in the middle with the ball coming from five men. Many zone defense let the five men follow and become almost a man-to-man defense with the five men that drop inside, okay? We did really something different. When the five men is coming, natural communication is a key part of this zone. Absolutely. And Biggs has to talk more than guards because, as I told them, they are the only that are on the bottom and really saw everything will happen on the shoulder of their teammates. So they need to talk and they need to call the pickerel is coming. And when they really call pickerel is coming, the two wings that are on top to recognize is the picker is coming from their side or to the other side. In that moment, figure out an easier situation. Double-I, okay, the point guard is in the middle, and we got four and five men. Many times, that zone, the picker start on a five-man side, almost. I said to the wing that now his own responsibility is the five-man. So he got a five-man. The picker is coming from the middle to the side. He show out really hard edge. Like a big man, he play like a fire. And he hedge two steps and he hold the ball. So is what will happen nine times out of ten that we got the offensive wing that is 45 free throw line extension outside the three, for sure, on a double line. They are waiting to shoot, especially in a five-man side. So we need that on this show aggressive. We need really to let the pass out slow. The ball goes out and probably go to the wing and is ready to shoot. If he's a four-man, you know we are man-to-man. The four man goes, and we are man-to-man. But if he's a five, the five goes at just his position, he's ready to go, and the two or the three men that did the R edge show, widely recognize that the ball fly immediately when the ball pass on his head, has to turn and sprint to help the five men that is running outside to the wing, and become like a quick trap, and bump back the five. As happened in the corner, happened in the wing. Natural that the little risk to get a three-point shot, but we can really code situation where this could happen with different shooters. But this is something natural that the point guard got the roller for one second, because if you figure out the point guard dribble, the wing are edge, the five man is rolling, so we need that. Our point guard, when the, the five roll, don't roll under, but roll over to deny an easy bound pass on a free throw line that is not easy also to deny an easy triangle past top wing high post, but the real coordination is from the weak side. The four men that is not involved in this rotation has to get the five men rolling immediately and bump back the point guard that probably come back on the top. This is one of the key situations. Then, talking about that, we can decide, for example, no hedge, not only flat defense between guards, or do nothing and follow the dribble and you stay. That's maybe a matchup zone for that offense. Or double-eye. They start on the four-man side many times with pass, end of back, flare. five men is coming. We switch between guards, so the wing got the ball, the five men is coming. That's a picker from the side to the middle. So. We don't play defense in the same way. We force the ball defender to go over the picker and the top has to stand and back because many times the point guard is still in the middle to play the second picker of situation. Got it? Ball back in the middle. So our top has to stay in the middle because the ball goes back to the point, he gets it, and now the second picker is from the middle to the side probably with the foreman. And over there we edge and switch. So these are Situation that we need to coach not every day, but for sure in preseason, for sure in the training camp, for sure one day, for a week, for sure twenty minutes on every practice. We need to do it because it's something that has to be and become automatically.
1: So you love the zone, all the stuff we've talked about, but when either a matchup or offensively, you decide it's not something we're going to go to tactically.
0: If, for example, we use the zone because we was down by ten and. I felt that the zone really helped us to come back in a game till down by three, tie, probably I'll keep it till the end. Or I alternate really quick. Sometimes I alternate every possession, players go crazy, and I alternate uh, my players go crazy. And we use in that way. If, for example, I recognize after one, two possession that mentally they are not connected zone and they miss immediately easy rotation or easy communication probably i keep for one possession or two because it's impossible to play if you are soft not connected not focused you can tell me okay every kind of zone you can do it no you can play an easy two three zone defense hope that the other miss the shot you can play an aggressive zone if you want to make the game and so or our situation natural last possession late in the shot clock or the last minute, very difficult that the last possession in defense I kept the zone is more probably that I put that zone from a sideline inbound or baseline inbound to the last possession in defense to win or lose the game. Because many teams, maybe almost the team, prepared the last four-second, five-second shot versus a man-to-man defense. Difficult that they prepare versus a zone. So these are the situations that I can't take off the zone.
1: A quick thank you to our newest partner here at Slapping Glass, one of the best tech companies in the world of sports, Huddle. As many of you know, Huddle extends an array of useful products to coaches from their auto tracking camera, Huddle Focus, live streaming tool, Huddle TV, wearable athlete performance tracker, Wimu, and their newest offering, Huddle Instat, an all-in-one data powerhouse platform that combines advanced tagging with a global film library. For more information on all that's offered with Huddle Instat, visit huddle.com slash slapping glass today. Thanks to Huddle for the support. And now back to our conversation. Coach, this has been great so far. Thanks for all your thoughts. We want to transfer over to a segment on the show that we call start, sub, or sit. We'll give you three different options around a topic, ask you to start one, sub one, and sit one. And so coach, if you're ready, we'll dive in on this first question for you. Ready? Okay, coach, this first one has to do with, we're just saying this is about real life coaching growth. And so I'm going to give you three different potentially negative situations that can happen to a coach, but are actually positive for coaching growth. And so your start would be the one that you feel would offer the most potential for growth for the coach. So start, sub, or sit. The first option is a bad player coach confrontation. So you get into it with a player that in a way that's maybe not great. The second option is going through a two, three, four game losing streak as a head coach and what you figure out about yourself and your team. And the third option is losing a close game down the stretch and what you learn from that close game, that loss. So start, sub or sit
0: those three coaching growth moments. It's not easy for sure. Not the third one. I think that honestly is a middle way for me between the first one and the second one. If I had to choose as a coach, I think losing three, four, five games in a row, because after that, many doubts comes out in your mind, many questions. Okay. I put on the side all the stuff like owners, fans, journalists put on the side. We are talking is also an important part of our job. That you need to be able to manage. You need to be able to answer, and especially after losing games. But what I think is important when you come back on the court, the face that you show to your players after these games, natural death. Many times I said the coach knows who and how really you lost the games. So under the shower, you know that you as a coach lost the game. Many times happen that you come back home and say, fuck. I lost this game because if I do this, I do that. But I know that I lost this game. Also, close game, maybe with a bad choice. But many times, don't depends on you. Depends only because happened. And I'm a coach that tried really to analyze situation. The most difficult things is that when you pass through this period, it's important that you understand why and how you lost this kind of game. Sometimes it could be that you are unlucky. Sometimes it could be other teams is better than you because many times owner ask me. Why you lost? Because the other win. And that's the easier answer Uh, that is maybe stupid, but many times we forget that there are teams that maybe are in that moment better than you. But also knowing if you lost because you don't really feel the team, you don't really feel the chemistry, you don't really feel the flow of the game, you don't really feel that the team is what you think about the team. So it's difficult to come back in a gym and explain and show over tactical and technical situation didn't run and show where we need to work on. And that's why it's connected to the first part, because the communication with players is a very important part of is a very point of emphasis for my way to coach. Because I think that especially for key players, have this kind of communication is so much important also to understand why things doesn't run. Because many times you got a vision, and your vision is not exactly what happened on the court. But to grow enough, if you are able to... Don't think that you have to change everything because you lost. That's so much important. Don't mean that you don't have to change nothing. But you are the same coach when you win. You are the same coach when you lost. Natural that you are able to adjust your stuff, but don't think... Because in that moment, everybody you meet is a coach. Everybody is better than you. Everybody got a solution, but no better than you knows what will happen. Your assistant coaches and your staff can help you. Natural that the way to have communication is something that brings out a lot of energy to yourself and you need to recharge in some ways. It's easier to do your business, to don't care about players if you win or lose, but that's a choice of everybody for how he is as a person before the coach. And I'm that kind of person that really to share this situation to the most important is not better player, but the most important player in the team and are not the same thing.
2: Can you just elaborate on the difference between the most important player and the best player
0: on the team? Many times, the best player or the most talented player is a player where maybe you don't have special communication or is a silent leader. So he don't communicate nothing to the teammates, nothing, but he's only an example on the court. He's an example on practices. I can talk about Michael Bramos. He's our Michael Jordan probably for what he did with Julian Stone and this player in Venice or Austin and other Marcus Haynes. But especially Michael is a silent leader, but was an, an unbelievable example on the court during the game, during the practice. But one of the most important players in the clutch moment of the season, in the losing moment of the season, was a player that maybe you know, talking about, for example, Bruno Scherella came from Milano, was an Italian guy that really played maybe five minutes per game, sometimes did not play but was so important to connect for example italians with foreign player to connect to use the right word in that kind of practices after losing games that give me so much energy positive energy and give me also some feedback about the feeling of the locker room and not every time i ride from the best player if best player are also so much important in that way That's amazing. And sometimes I was lucky to have this kind of player sometimes no, as, for example, this season.
1: We're kind of connecting all of these three. And I liked what you said about the most important player in losing streaks and how you communicate and things like that. I'd like to go back and ask you about the start here and what you're learning through the losing streak and what over the course of your career, when your team is struggling... And you want to make a change, how you think about delivering that change to the team, whether it's going to be a tactical change, maybe starting lineup change, new players, where you're trying to figure out something new, what you've learned about how to communicate that in a way that doesn't break the whole thing up and lead to more losing.
0: Players are smarter than people think. That's the first thing. Especially professional players, I level knows that when things doesn't run or we struggle, something will happen. So, they are ready to some change and especially in the way to share ideas with staff or sometimes with players. For me, the only way is to tell them the truth. So, if I have to change the lineup, I go to the player, involving involved in that and I'm telling true. The truth straight is not nice, but I need to do it to do something different. Or, for example, we need to change the way also to practice to have maybe more intensity because it's something that we are not able to reproduce during the game. Or we need to put some set more inside playbook. We did the communicate that the worst communication for me is when you have to say that in that moment one player doesn't really run in his spot, not to be fired, but to have a different role inside the team in that moment. So players knows, but not every time they are so available to accept this truth. But I try to be myself every time. There is no a special way or a, a secret. There's something that you have to do it. Because after that, you need to think that players are also under pressure with general manager, owner, the agent, the family. So. Many times, players also efficient, are not effective on the court, maybe for some problems that are outside. So we need also to think that there are men on the court, and we need also to understand sometimes that. I repeat one more time, this way brings you a lot of energy out, but also give you back something in a clutch moment, in a key moment, in a struggle moment, where I said to my players, I hope that at least 1% also for the coach. I hope sometimes happen
2: <laughs> over your years. What have you learned about when these player coach confrontations happen and just your thoughts on them happening and how you then deal with them after?
0: OK, what I learned is that when you got this confrontation with the players is that you have to be ready to hear something that you really don't believe. Like, OK, coach, this is something that really don't run or this is something that we can do it, coach. or you need to hear, like, a guy, a coach, listen!" But these two players hate each other; they can't play together, or the locker room is broken. Something that you really can't believe, or you don't realize, or sometimes they said, "Don't want to speak bad about my teammates," but watch out because the locker room is broken. Some players is an asshole, or this is something the most difficult things. But plus of this is also technically or tactically when you have to hear that things doesn't run technically could be a set could be a zone could be a choice and you need to be honestly if you speak with them is because you believe in these players you don't speak with everybody you don't give the license to say everything to everybody me no for sure but so probably you got confidence and you believe so much in this player that you are also available to listen not only to give them your message you need to bring they message and try to find a way because sometimes it's all is also a big fight on that so and this is the biggest thing that I learned from players. and once you are available to really listen that is not only to stay there but is really listen not hear but listen and it's totally different if you are so available you can really manage with your stuff and really understand if this thing mesh up with your idea and try to find a way without change everything maybe sometimes it's like coach we're really tired to this fucking meeting on video <laughs> or uh, understand what i mean yep. sometimes you break your head for amazing or crazy or big things but sometimes it's easier than it or sometimes it's nothing sometimes it's coach nothing else we need to keep working a little bit unlucky keep working the way is right we are working we need to stay together the worst thing is really to keep everybody together
2: Our next start subset, we're going to look at the offensive side of the ball here now, and we're calling this Princeton benefits. So we're going to give you three things with your start being the most beneficial or what you like most about running pieces of the Princeton offense. I love. (laughs) Okay, then this is right up your alley. Here we go. Option one is the cutting that is involved in the offense. Option two would be the elevated spacing, lifting up off the baseline. Option three would be, Just the ability to set up pick and rolls, get into more dynamic pick and rolls.
0: Okay, you touch a system that I really love from maybe more than 30, 25 years because it's one of the systems that I start using with the young guys. And I think that Princeton offense, either with big men start on a free throw line or big men start in the low post, really develop players is one of the best systems to develop players, to develop young guys, but also veterans for one simple reason, because except for the five men, all the other spots, everybody can play in every spot and everybody can really look for everything with the ball in his hands, with cutting, with play picker all, either I love picker all four and five. So really is a system that really develops the players in different ways i think that the first one cutting is one of the most important things because you learn how to play off the ball usually we have in our system the princeton offense one of the basic system offense i got numbers of options on that and we develop in years and we start with calls, become like 20 calls for the princeton offense but the goal is especially with young guys is to cut every calls and only read so dribble entry Guard to guard pass, guard to wing pass, dribble entry from the guard to the wing, high post entry pass, and this is something amazing. If you teach to the players to cut in the right timing, to post up, to recognize advantages, natural that the second one for me is the pick and roll player because this is another system that really develop and teach how to space the floor and how to attack advantages either on our hedge defense, on pick roll how to react, how to move on baseline cut or to flat or switch on drop defense either in the middle or on the side. So if I have to answer, I choose the first and the last as in this case.
2: i like to ask a question about just implementing the prints in it. And you mentioned there's so many variations. You usually will start by making it calls. I guess kind of your process of how many calls are you giving them? How do you start to build it? Like, let's say in an ideal world, by the end, it's all read, react, and they're just playing.
0: I usually start as a global, so five on zero. If yes. focus in the position, many, mostly of my calls in the system as a start lineup is with two guards, the I post on free throw line, and then the two wings on free throw line extension outside the three-point line. One and two, same position, three and four, same position, many times, one, two, and three. Sometimes the foreman is in a guard position. And we start global, the regular movement, the passer cut the second on the guard. We use the back screen and start reading the first back screen. From there, we start in many times, the pass on the wings is denied by the defense. So that's become the first option with the dribble entry and the first backstop cut the wing. So that's the first option. And we put a general call to the set, to the main set, that in our system is four. And then from there, we really develop different options for any role for any situation, either for central picker all for down, for uh, the wing to post up, for side was for Austin Day. Guard to guard pass is the only one that we have, no calls. But we start from global, then I usually divide in four on four. would be two guards, the eye post and the wing, could be the only the four players without the eye post and we break down a lot of four on four sometimes three on three but many times also the warm-up is only for how to move the feet how to backdoor how to receive the ball how to face front really to fundamentals because princeton that's why i told you that developed players really teach you how to play off the ball how to receive the ball how to use our body to receive the ball how to backdoor and how to post up up their backdoor if the defense is behind you. So we start many practices with warm-up that are one on all, and we teach technique, only technique. Also technique about bigs to receive and go far away from the defense and face prone to have good backdoor pass, because many times the five-man is not so a good passer. And then we come back to the global system.
2: You did mention you just like to run four or five pick-and-rolls. I have a guess, but I'd like to hear why you like the four or five pick-and-rolls.
0: For the same reason that I told you, I like everything is strange. Okay. <laughs> I like play. Sometimes I play five pick and roll with a four. Because I think that every time you are able to, okay, you need players that really open the mind. That's the first step that I told you. But for example, Austin Day was amazing about that. And he really also opened my eyes on many situations. Is another point on the court. If you are able to run this kind of picker or figure out in transition when you play picker of four and five as a drag situation that forks or a switch to attack immediately with the fireman or an eyes on top for him that is able to attack, but also to create some difficulty to the defense because they are not able to recognize, for example, a, a double delay screen, pass to the four, the point guard screen, and then screen the five. So probably it's a triple switch and the pickerel is playing by four to the one to the five. Switch is a three-point shot. They switch, probably we got the pointer versus the five. Or the five versus our foreman, natural. The foreman has to have some real skills, dribbling, passing, cool IQ, basketball IQ. And Because not everybody can do it. Because if not, uh, it's so dangerous that you create problems. But if you got an unselfish player, but especially a ball handler, I think is really amazing. For example, figure out a s- single stagger. Okay, you got a stagger, regular stagger. Stagger, the, ball, the two men come on top. The second stagger is coming on the baseline. The ball arrived to the three men. Okay, the five keeps going screening for the four. The ball arrived to the four and now everybody clear out and if nothing happens for a three-point shot, the five men screen the ball. So we got a final picker of four and five. Probably is a switch for the boleyn, or it's a three-point shot or it's a nice of four because we have always four men able to attack the five men. So these are, these are all situations that we really like to create advantage and to force the defense to make a choice.
1: Coach, you're off the start-sub-sit hot seat. Thanks for playing that game with us. Great answers there. Coach, we got one more question for you to close the show. Before we do... Thank you again for coming on, for your thoughts and for your time today.
0: It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed my time.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate that. Coach, our last question that we ask all the guests is, what's the best investment that you've made in your career as a coach?
0: It's not an easy answer, but technically talking, I think that the best investment is absolutely to don't think that you know everything. I mean, I think that coaching... Everybody knows basketball, Adi he got his own philosophy as a coach or is building his own philosophy. We need to don't forget that we are also men and we work with men. These are three things that connected together, let you be a coach. Starting from there with your philosophy, I think that the best investment is don't think that is enough, but keep going, watching, keep going, have curiosity to watch games, to answer, to make questions, talk, to really develop system. And every time you invest your time in that, I think that you can bring back and open your mind to how the games is developing in these years. Because every time everything changed as systems, as uh, players, as the way to stay on the court, also the way to coach. And the best investment is also to talk with other coaches. stay with you better than you uh, maybe better is the best thing because talking, you can really have another point of view, another way to stay on the court. And don't forget that you always work with men. This is something that I always remember because sometimes we think that we got machine. And talking about that, uh, the investment to talk and figure out when you build your stuff and I finish is, uh, this is what I'm looking for, to having your staff, coaches that are good like you or better than you or can okay, grow up like you serious person you can count on that accountable person but that really can create you big doubt during the season and you can discuss and you can fight you can fuck up every time but really help you to grow up if not okay you can coach for 30 years but this as i told you depends for how you are depends on every person there are Coaching's really respectable. That had the same situation for many years, but I think that this, invest, this is the way to invest, to the way to grow in up. As I told to the players, you got thirty years, you can grow in up. You are a coach from twenty five years, you can grow in up. You got your philosophy, keep it, but be open.
1: All right, Pat. You know, oftentimes at the end of. These conversations were just kind of in this zone of just so many thoughts and questions, and want to keep exploring a little bit more. And I, mostly because it's just when you get to talk to somebody like Coach de Rafaeli, that just think the game is such a high level and yeah. so nuanced, and honestly, sometimes so different. Maybe too. Like, and we'll get into some of the, his thoughts on just playing a little bit differently. It's always fun, kind of stretches our minds for sure to their limit.
2: Yes, definitely. And I wrote down. I mean, I think if I had the theme. With this conversation was he likes to play strange you know to kind of use his words and yes it does come across and you know obviously our research and watching his team a lot of the feedback or suggestions we got from other coaches in preparing was that he likes to mix it up yeah that definitely ring true in this conversation and i know as we start to get into it just all the different ways that he can change the defense to match kind of the opponent to hide their weaknesses take away the opponent's strength. So like you said, then it goes back to just these high level guys and kind of just getting a chance to sit in their minds for an hour and hear them talk about all these things and the rules and why they do things was really enjoyable today.
1: Yeah. And a backstory of why we went with the matchup zone and three, two and all that is we've, you know, kind of been able to reach out to some coaches that have coached against him throughout the years, know his team well. And, Mm -hmm they were able to say hey (laughs) this was always an issue or this was something that he just did really well that as an opposing coach you had to prepare for knowing they were gonna throw these three two these matchup zones at you and you had to really prepare for it and so it was fun to to pick his brain right away honestly like what I like." why he thought the 3-2 was better from the 2-3. And then, I mean, he gave kind of a master class about all the different reasons why and how he preferred to do it. I liked your question too, because he alluded to, he thinks he
2: can protect the five or keep the five more at home in the 3-2 and keep more speed and favorable matchups on the perimeter. So I, I liked too when he said that Sometimes it'll morph into a two, three when it's on the five man side. And I enjoyed that conversation when you followed up and how they do it with kind of bouncing the five out and momentarily trapping corners. Yep. You know, another thing when we were, again, knew we were going to talk about these matchup zones, you brought it up just like how teams can play with force or aggression Mm -hmm. when you're playing a zone defense. Cause sometimes, you know, maybe the stereotype is everyone just kind of sits back, looks pretty in their spots and you're more reactive. So He was right away on that. I mean, I think one of the early things he said is, of course, if the player is in your zone or your area, he wants ball pressure. But then, especially with how aggressive they are on the pick and rolls and how they defend the pick and rolls, but he said like just hard hedging. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't even have to actually ask a follow up on it because, you know, that was sounded like it was one of his kind of tenets within their zone defense is that they want to be aggressive, proactive be on the ball and not just kind of sit back and keep their pretty shape
1: and i think maybe it was part of that conversation but when he started to talk about i think it was your question that i liked on just how do you guard pick and rolls from the different areas yeah and some of that aggressiveness kind of came out too or talked about basically hedging coming at the ball with that wing that you know opposite or same side wing sorry and just like not letting the offense sort of come and set an on ball screen and be at their mercy in a zone, but still attacking it while at the same time, keeping your fours and fives as kind of the catch or the tag guys on the roll. Mm-hmm. I thought was a unique, I think for you and I, this isn't a miss, but this was just like something that I know we both wrote down and talked about quickly before hopping on. This is studying a little bit more film of him and how in that three, two zone, they were hedging and guarding pick and rolls. I agree. And I wouldn't call it a miss. Cause I think, both of us would have
2: loved to go down that rabbit hole, but I think we're, I give him credit because I thought he did a really good job of explaining the situations. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think we're always mindful when we get in these tactical conversations. If we go so deep into the weeds, it can even get confusing for us, you know, if we're not on the court or we don't have a board. Right. So I give him credit. I thought he was really clear and (laughs) we were able to follow the situations, maybe Going deeper, I think we're always hesitant just because yeah, maybe it gets too confusing and it's like we gotta remember this is a the medium
1: we're on. <laughs> we we do want a couple people to listen to the episode. You know, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So does. <laughs> yeah. Um we want it might be tough for our moms yeah, exactly. at that point to really <laughs> yeah, we appreciate them sticking around, but that even that one for them. Sticking around, um, yeah. But start sub sit you and I beforehand were we had fun discussing these. I'll kick it to you, either one to start with as far as a takeaway.
2: Yeah. I really enjoyed the real life coaching growth conversation. I thought he was excellent and just talking through a losing streak and kind of the realities of it and the decisions you face or what you think about. And I liked then getting into the conversation of your most important player versus your best player. And it's a conversation we've been having a lot just with leadership and the standard setters versus like the vocal leaders and how, and when you're in a losing streak, he said, communicating with, the vocal leaders who he was saying your most important players are probably more critical at these times because they can hopefully transmit the message, keep the belief, keep the locker room intact. And so I appreciated that distinction and just hearing why he
1: labeled that guy your most important player. For sure. And I'm glad that you followed up and asked him to go deeper on that. I think because, yeah, that was an interesting statement. I agree with you. I think that question you and I were talking about beforehand, the kind of real life coaching stuff you know, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of sort of the off season growth phase for everyone. And we're super fortunate here to get to talk to coaches all over the world who are trying to improve in the off season and hear their thoughts and what they're thinking about and what they're watching and, you know, clinics they're going to, all the stuff that's really, really good for development. But we were talking about, you know, the best things sometimes are when you mess up, when you fail. You know, when you're losing, when you lose a close game when something doesn't go well with the player confrontation, I think like for you and I, it was interesting to hear him who someone who's been in it for a long time, talk about that losing streak and how it just helps define you as a coach and what you believe in and sort of the unpredictability of coaching itself as far as just wins and losses can be a bad bounce here or there. So
2: talking about misses, because in his best investment, I'll set up. When we were coming up with this question, you had mentioned too coach to coach confrontation, the head coach with your assistant yeah. confrontation, and in his uh, best investment, he mentioned the importance of having sometimes those coach to coach confrontations or being able to have discussions and arguments mm-hmm. over them. So maybe that was a miss. We were thinking about putting it in there, and then he kind of alluded to it at the end. Could have been an interesting conversation just to hear him discuss more how he
1: views the his staff relationships and building a staff. Maybe we'll sort of recycle that question in a different way and add that in because that was the fourth option that we were yeah thinking to add in like the confrontation i guess being the right word maybe but just something with your staff that doesn't go well like we were talking about yeah someone messes up a scout or they decision was wrong or you listen to someone an idea that didn't work or honestly like <laughs> your staff's just not getting along yeah or whatever it is and what you learn from that as a head coach and i agree with you it would have been interesting to hear his thought on it and maybe we'll surface that somewhere else i think there was a lot of ideas that can kind of come out of just that umbrella of a question so i'm sure we'll we will again. start sub sit trade we should have added a fourth <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the other one i'll just jump in real quick the princeton stuff i mean that you could tell he could have just gone for a long time
2: yeah that was also his cup of tea yeah
1: yeah and I think that overall there's a lot to be said and there's a lot out there about the Princeton offense we don't need to you know it's not news to anybody no but I think what we always like to get into is the Princeton offense on its face is one thing but I think how a coach like him thinks about it in a sense of building other parts of his offense and why you do it That was really a point of us asking those different questions is like, what is it about the Princeton itself that is most valuable to setting up your offense? And he mentioned being able to teach those four guys, especially to play the player development side of it and becoming good players. I give you credit because you were good too when we said that putting down, setting
2: up the pick and roll. And I mean, that was his sub and You know kind of what you thought when we were thinking this question through is and he alluded to just the ability to get into different pick and roll actions get a little bit more dynamic into them and then i guess where he finished and where he started just with his strange theme that he just likes to play strange is then it allowed him to to get into some four or five pick and rolls just why he likes those and the confusion and being able to create mismatches out of them to kind of bring it full circle with playing strange
1: yeah and the princeton does offer some opportunities where you can get to that four or five pick and roll in a natural way that forces a decision by the defense. Like you said, if they want to switch it, yeah. that is fine with him to have usually an athletic and skilled four, be able to go at their five. Yeah. Just to put a bow on a two with the pick and roll stuff, Tom Izzo, Michigan state for years. And I know there's others out there that run it, but they've always run kind of a nice chin series that, you know, after that, shuffle or back screen by the five flows into a high like middle pick and roll hmm. and it always gets that defensive big dislodged from the screener because they have to help for a second on that back cut and now you're not worried about the hedge as much or there's just a little bit disconnectedness with that on ball and so i just think like setting it up that way allows the team to kind of dictate a pick and roll so fun to hear him talk about that stuff there you know he mentioned visiting us when he's out here he's got Invitation anytime he wants. I think you and I can. Any invitation, absolutely, yeah, (laughs) yeah. We'll meet him wherever to talk some more strange basketball. Strange but good basketball. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, well, Pat, there's nothing else. Let's do it. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you again next time.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter, Slapping Glass Plus, and much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass.
1: Do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping back or <laughs> Slapping glass. <laughs> slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like That's
0: that. Good. Well, let's roll. <laughs> slapping glass.